Hey, this is Peter introducing the Bcast. Jonathan left the room, so I'm going to try doing an intro here. Uh, today we're going to discuss the pros and cons of being your own boss, owning a restaurant, and the 10 friendliest and some of the least friendliest cities to start a business in these days. You're listening to the Bcast, the official podcast of bplans.com. Each week we discuss the latest news, resources, and advice for entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm Jonathan Michael. And I'm Peter Thorson. Hey, Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Good. Going well. I was in charge of that answer, so I feel good about it. Yeah, that's as far as your cue card went. Are you your own boss? I don't know. I sometimes feel like maybe, uh, you know, I'm, I'm under the control of uh, maybe something else, a greater force. And uh, sometimes I do wonder if, if you uh, are your own boss, when are you your own boss, at what times of day, uh, who do you report to, on what level. So uh, there's an entrepreneurial myth that, you know, once you start your own business, the, the biggest benefit for, for many people is that you get to be your own boss. You can kind of control your own hours, set your pace, and that's a very freeing thing, but uh, that's not all roses, is it? It's not all roses. I don't know. I mean, it might be roses. I think some people feel like they can't live without it. The uh, stare at a screen all day lifestyle isn't for them, so they're an entrepreneur by default. Then they have to figure out what to actually do uh, with that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, the real question here is, is being your own boss uh, all it's cracked up to be? Is it right for you? The article written by Tim Barry, who most recently called The Pros and Cons of Being Your Own Boss. That's what we're going to talk about today. That one's on bplans.com, is that right? That's right. What, what's the idea of be your own boss? I mean, is it that you're truly independent? Or do you just have a problem with authority and hate people telling you what I, to do? I seriously question that sometimes when yeah. people say the, the be your own boss thing. So Tim, Tim Barry point here, number one, uh, you're at the wheel, you make the decisions yourself. You know, I think we've had a lot of folks on, though, over this uh, podcast life cycle mm-hmm. that uh, have really been pro-mentoring. So is it necessarily the best possible thing to be in charge of all the decisions all the time, to be at the wheel at all times? I mean, is that the best use of an entrepreneur's time even? Yeah, and I guess it depends, you know, too, on just how frustrated you are in your own job where you're not the boss. You know, do you have ideas about the direction that the company should be taking and are frustrated by the fact that your ideas aren't being listened to and and that's the reason why you want to step away because you think, hey, I get to decide what happens. Tim's point here is interesting. The last point he makes, you know, he feels safer when he's driving rather than the passenger, mm-hmm. uh, especially in business. So I think this is a good personality. This is a good litmus test for you, listener. Is uh, that driver's seat right for you? Are you in charge of the company in your mind when you think of that fantasy business? Are you the one making all the decisions on a day-to-day basis? Uh, or are you, frankly, just really, really good at the thing you want to start the business doing. So the second benefit of being your own boss, the second pro, is that you get to set your own hours. Yeah, this one would kill me, i got to admit. If I don't uh, have someone telling me that 9 to 5 is the right time to show, I don't know, man. I don't know when I would, you know, wake up. Yeah, I can say that, you know, that's probably true for me too, but it's it's not from a lack of being self-motivated, but then I also just fall into bad personal habits. I'm doing most of my work at night. I'm not sleeping at regular hours, and that's not the best version of myself. So setting your own hours as a part of being your own boss can really be uh, a way of regimenting your day. You know, someone who's got that personal discipline probably is going to have this really locked down. They're going to understand how to segment out the day and make sure they make time for personal time, family time, that kind of thing. Mm But are you sacrificing some amount of that time, some amount of that family time or interests or what makes you you? Uh, And by doing that, 
you know, is that a sacrifice that you're willing to make? That's one consideration. The other side is, uh, you know, how do you decide to turn off that clock? I know with my first business, uh, you know, even out at the bar with friends, you know, you could be working. <laughs> so, well, why aren't you? And if you're that kind of self-motivated person, it can actually be a real detriment because you really, it's a hard time turning it off. So the third pro to being your own boss is that you get to set your own work style, workplace environment, and even to the extent that you can afford it, the workplace equipment that you have. Yeah, again, this this sort of sense of control, this being behind the driver's seat, definitely applies to the car you're driving too. And uh, this is a this is a very good point. I think a lot of people are greatly affected, you know, by their surroundings. If your style is so. Uh, you know, strictly no decoration, you might turn people off. It's, if it's so strictly adornment, you might turn people off. You know, you could go so far in a single direction yeah. with too much freedom uh, that, that, you know, maybe that's not the best for people around you or employees or partners. Yeah, I think the greatest uh, benefit for this one is for people who are sole proprietorships. The company is just them, and they get to decide where they're going to work. They can maybe even make the decision on a daily basis. You know, today I'm feeling like I'm going to stay home and work from home, get all my stuff done. You get that freedom and flexibility to make that decision at any given time. If you love, if you have to have the work environment your way, then probably that entrepreneurship aspect of what you're doing is core and it's part of you and it's important to you. So that's good. That's a good identifier. You know, that kind of spills into this last pro that Tim listed. He says you get to set your own location. So I, you know, we talked about physical location in the city, maybe at home, maybe going to the office. But he even means at a broader level, what city are you in? You know, where where are you working? Do you want to work abroad? You could do that if you are an entrepreneur and you are your own boss. Yeah, this one gets uh, a little skewed sometimes. Your 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 dough shop might have a main street location, and if so, of course you can't work from anywhere. Right. But the truth is, if you have the type of work that you can do from anywhere, uh, you know, Tim talks about the lack of commute. That's true, but there's also actually a greater benefit. I mean, you literally could be anywhere. Mm -hmm. You could actually be scouting new clients in Bogota but while doing work with most of your clients in California. You know, there's all these kinds of interesting twists on that where maybe even vacation during work becomes, you know, the norm, and that's a much more enjoyable lifestyle for you. Yeah, and obviously we're seeing more and more of this while uh, people offer services online. That allows them to be remote. Um, but definitely what you mentioned, there's, you know, small businesses that have to rely on the location that they set and the, the services they provide there at that location. Yeah, it's funny. We put this one as a pro, and again, to me, this is maybe it's, maybe I'm really identifying myself here, but the idea seems like a real rabbit hole. I think the balance there and figuring out as a person, as an entrepreneur, where those stop and start points are, are kind of built into this. So if all those seem like pros to you, then that would probably be the biggest advice. Let's say you take time off and you have a week to yourself. What do you do with that time when you're on vacation? I guess for me, what I end up seeing is like maybe that first day or two off, the schedule is all over the place because this is me like finally letting go of what I've been doing for the past, you know, several weeks. And, you know, I might sleep in, I might, you know, watch a movie late, but by about two or three days into it, I even establish a routine in a vacation. I think I actually get worse and worse as the vacation progresses. <laughs> so it just like And then it's a terrible into. shock coming back to the real world. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'd like to hear from our listeners. Maybe that's a good litmus test of how do you spend your time when you really truly have nothing but free time. Uh, maybe that kind of ties into how entrepreneurial you are. Let's talk about the cons. The cons. Number so, one con. You're not really your own boss, are you? You never are. Somebody 
directs how you spend your time and what you're doing with it. Usually it's the people who are in charge of uh, making sure you get the money you need. Yeah, so your customers are your boss, mm -hmm. uh, your clients are your boss. If you are the only, the sole proprietor, like you said, of these businesses out there, you are beholden to the people who are giving you the money. Now we've talked a little bit about lean as a concept of planning and lean mm -hmm. management, and even some of the Kanban principles that we talked about a few episodes ago. Kanban? Kanban? Kanban. I don't know. Ban the can. Because we can, can, can. You know, sort of indicate this idea that in some sense the customer is a great source of input, but also the customer is not always right. And in fact, this notion of like this phrase that's so popular, the customer is always right, uh, you know, has been sort of mangled over the years, right? It was never meant to indicate that the person who's coming into your business and saying things mm -hmm. is in fact the voice of reason. Yeah, so the next thing, when your customers and clients aren't necessarily your boss, your commitments are as well. Uh, your commitments to vendors, to allies, to business activities. Um, once you start getting production in place and things rolling for your business, you're kind of stuck needing to kind of follow through those. Yeah, this is an amazing one for, I think, a lot of the you know artists out there who sort of grow into a craft business that then grow into a distributor-type business. You'll see a lot of these amazing stories out there where they're sustainable when it's enjoyable for the entrepreneur. You mm -hmm. know, if you're brewing a certain amount of beer and it's fun, 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 up until a certain point, and then that person doesn't have their hands in the mix, the next day... Their commitments slide, their shipping schedules slide, everything else slides because they're just not in love with the business anymore. Yeah. And then they're the only person who's in charge of that. So that's it. And I think we talked about this on a previous podcast with regards to, you know, when is it time to hire somebody else on your team? And, right. And, and for some people, that's that comes a lot earlier because they really get excited by the idea of starting something up, getting it up and running. But the minute you get into all that operational stuff to keep it afloat, that's where you start to kind of you know, really get mired. I feel like there's a theme here to Tim. He, he doesn't yeah. like other things being your boss to not be considered. <laughs> so I, I feel like number three, he's talking about if you've got employees in some ways. You have responsibilities to pay them, to keep work coming in. You know, you are in some ways responsible for them. So this idea that you are your own boss, Jonathan, mm -hmm. uh, they it's not true. Is, not that, really. is that what kind of what we're saying with these no, three points? I don't, yeah, I think it's not true, really. Would you say that somebody who is their own boss actually has quantifiably more bosses than the sort of average middle uh, middle management worker in a larger company? Yeah, in the sense that you're responsible for a lot more things. You, mm -hmm. The buck stops there with you, so you need to make the decisions, you need to put the hours in and to make sure that your business is a success. Is it about being your own boss or is it about doing the thing you love to do or some combination of both? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think we're kind of hitting on a lot of those points, this list here where you know if you're starting your own business because you love or you're excellent at this one task or job type or craft or something, or are you more driven by the concept of entrepreneurship and the thing that you do is almost secondary to the fact that you are such an entrepreneur at heart, which I think we've heard a lot from uh, from various guests, yeah, but also totally. a lot of the, the people on B plans, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the next two cons for being your own boss kind of have to do with finances. All right, number four. <laughs> number four, you spend your own money. You spend your own money. So this is an interesting thing. We do this here at Palo Alto Software. You know, if you're... Uh, if you are choosing between plane rates and ones quicker but more expensive, uh, we often say, think about it, if you were willing to spend your own money on that difference, yeah. would you justify that spend to yourself? And if so, 
it's probably fine from a company perspective as well. You know, if you have to pay your own rent in addition to company costs and that kind of thing, sometimes the amount of money that the company makes is going to dictate how much you make at the end of the month. Is that fair? Yeah, and you might not be bootstrapping. You might, you know, be able to secure a business loan or something like that, but that's still money that you're responsible for. And once you're responsible for all the, the dollars and cents, you might start looking a little bit harder at the, your expenses. If you hit a point where it's maybe difficult to pay salaries out or something like that, yeah. uh, you know, oftentimes it's the business owner who takes the first cut. Uh, but if you ever reach that point, you know, it sometimes is because of this idea that you know, the money wasn't being spent in the same way you might if you were on your own personal budget. That's right. There's that question of what would you do if you had a million dollars? Well, more often than not, when you start your own business, you don't just get a million dollars to play with. You have whatever you've been able to raise. And you're not just spending it willy-nilly to see you know, what happens. You're trying to set your business up to succeed over the long term. And even those who do, even those who do have a good sort of finance source or a good initial startup loan, that mm -hmm. kind of thing, it's often very difficult. Without the bootstrapping process in place where they've become profitable slowly over time to manage that money. Okay, fifth and final con. You yes. earn what you earn. It's the other side of that coin. You know, I think there's a little bit more of like a metaphorical version here as well. I mean, the company is growing at the rate that it's growing at, and your equity uh, is, you know, percentage-wise is staying the same, but the, the thing that you own, the company that you own, grows in value as you increase its revenues, its profitabilities, its size over time. So, you know, truly the work that you put in and the earnings that you receive out of that are relative to... Uh, you know, your own effort in that space. This one for me is definitely the reason why anytime that I've thought about striking it out on my own, I don't take that step because you don't have that guarantee that the money's going to keep rolling in until you've been able to establish your business for a number of years. And with a family, like, I just can't think about jumping out and doing that and trying to take care of a family at the same time. For those who, you know, maybe have done freelancing, I know some designers, for example, who uh, they just have enough clients that they're working nonstop. The problem is that they may not be adept at wooing new clients or even sourcing new leads to convert into new clients. They don't understand this concept as a sales funnel. So even though they have a current stable that keeps them busy, if one of them drops off, the whole company could go under. Yeah. So that's the list, the, the four pros and the five cons to being your own boss. But uh, we want to hear from you. If you're listening today, what, uh, what did we miss? Maybe there's a pro that we didn't talk about, or maybe there's a con that's kind of pushed you away from the idea. But yeah, if you us. started a business recently, why don't you tell us your favorite and least favorite thing? That would be awesome to hear. Uh, uh, we'll maybe call some of those out in the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. So reach out to us on Twitter at bplans. Use the hashtag bcast or email us bcast at bplans.com and uh, we'd love to hear from you. You know, Peter, today we're talking about the pros and cons of being your own boss, and we have a special guest with us today. His name is Eric Cacciatore. He's the host of the podcast Restaurant Unstoppable, and it kind of came out of his desire to start his own restaurant, um, but in the meantime, before he's ready to do that, he wanted to learn as much as he could, and so he launched this podcast where he interviews restaurant owners and learns from them. And Eric, let's bring you on and have you talk more about yourself and, and what you're doing. Yeah, thanks for the introduction. Um, like you said, I just started this podcast because I'm passionate about the industry. And I started listening to a lot of entrepreneurial podcasts out there. Um, I headhunt some of the most success, su successful independently owned restaurant operators to kind of find out what it takes 
to be successful in one of the most challenging industries that exist. And I kind of highlight their strengths. And basically what I'm trying to do is just paint a picture of what you need to be successful in such a challenging industry. And hopefully by you know recording these lessons and sharing them with other people, um, we can you know create this community of support and uh, you know everyone can learn together. So I, I kind of consider myself a lifelong student, which is really exciting because the more I learn all these successful people, one of the reasons why they're so successful is because they never stop learning. They're always pushing themselves. They're, they're, they never think they've learned at all. And I think that's one key lesson to take away. Yeah, you know, one of our biggest groups of uh, business types here in our audience are, are somehow food-related, whether it's a restaurant, a food cart, a distributor. It's, it's, a, it's a wild space. It seems like there's so much variety. And if anything, it seems like there's increasing innovation and uh, sort of differentiation amongst these businesses. So, I mean, is that, does that make it a better time to be your own boss? Well, I mean, I mean, there's. I think one of the things that's really unique about the food and beverage industry is there's just so much passion. Uh, people are so passionate about whatever niche it is, whether it be beer or coffee or pizza or farm to table. I mean, there's just so many little niches that de- you know that desire to wake up and go to quote unquote work. But you know, if you're really truly passionate about what you're doing and you're educating other people. Uh, it's it doesn't feel like work and that's the whole idea but it can also be a trap because some people don't look at the the cons of owning a business and they just think about that one little thing that makes them so happy like whether it be cooking or whether it be working with people and I mean there's a whole other side that people don't consider because they just have their eyes on the prize all the time do you have a bunch of pitfalls that people should be worried about or looking to avoid or or how would you approach that like the behind the scenes the marketing the accounting and you know, tax time and all those little things that people don't have skills in. Um, I mean, the, the book that comes to mind, and I'm sure you gentlemen are familiar with it, and I'm sure your listeners are familiar with it, is the e-myth. You know, the, the, the entrepreneurial myth is basically what that book's about. And that, that myth is that you get sucked into what you love, right? You think you can be a better boss than your boss. And then all of a sudden you go to open your, your dream job or your dream restaurant or a shop or whatever it is and then you get sucked into all those little things that you're not good at the idea of doing what you love is is one of those kind of romantic notions and i and i always kind of hear the other side of it which is do what you're good at uh and sometimes that's you know uh from a profitability standpoint the thing that no one else wants to do so if you're good at something and no one else wants to do it and you can uh be proficient at it you might be uh, the most successful in that space rather than the more romantic notion uh, of what you love but it sounds like maybe those two things combine at a pragmatic level for everyone, no matter what. Does that seem fair? I mean, you, you got to do your bookkeeping, even if you're doing your fun food cart. Yeah. And um, one of the, my past guests recently said this, he said, you know, you got to stay in your lane. Um, and I think a lot of people, they, they're, they're in their lane, they're really good at their lane, but it, it's, you're forced out of your lane when you open your own business. And I think one of the, the biggest tricks, one of the success is surrounding yourself with other people that belong in those lanes where you don't belong. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges and one of the things you should do in the early stages, you know, find those partners, find people who are strong where you're weak so you can be well-rounded. Um, so you're not doing it all yourself. You know, Eric, I think you are our 14th or 15th guest, but uh, you've had 
like over 180. Is that right? Yeah, uh, just published 186. Uh, they're not, I would say probably 170 guests. I have done a few solo. Yeah, no, what I was going to ask you is, you know, obviously from all of those interviews, you had to have picked up some things along the way. You know, what are some key takeaways that you've, you've learned from those restaurant owners? Some of the biggest takeaways basically is just to make sure you're absolutely in love with what you're doing. Because unless, you know, it's, it's a huge commitment. I mean, it, there's so much potential reward there, but with reward comes high risk. You can't picture yourself doing anything else. And unless you wake up and just dream and just are totally consumed with the idea, it's, it's what you're on this earth to do, really think twice about it. And in terms of tips for executing this kind of a dream, I mean, I know I, for one, would feel extremely distracted and sort of maybe even lost if I had to go start my own, you know, food cart or coffee brewing business or coffee roastery, rotisserie, coffee rotisserie <laughs> business. Tomorrow. So I, I, I just wonder, like, how do you how do you stay on track? Like, how do you set the compass? What do you do to make sure that you are doing what you love, but also are setting sort of some progress forward? And one lesson that we've learned is how crucial it is to have a vision, to have a mission, and to have it written down before you start, so you can remind yourself every day, so you don't drift off course, so you know what your purpose is, and so your people working with you all have that similar purpose and that similar mission. Just to backpedal a little bit, if you're truly passionate and you really want to get in this industry, if you have the money with a previous career, go work for somebody else who is doing what you're doing or as close to what you're doing as possible and learn as much as possible. Find the most successful person at it and just go work for them. The really successful people in this industry, one of the reasons why they're so successful is because they're so willing to help other people get to where they're going. Um, and there's so much generosity out there. Yeah, absolutely. We've had some great guests in our past and a lot of them have talked about uh, the idea of mentoring and the importance of having a mentor in your business space. This notion that you, sometimes you can learn from their mistakes, but also just having that reassurance. Even if you're doing the right thing, having someone say that you're doing the right thing can often be incredibly helpful to you know making sure you do it the most efficient way possible. Having that mentor there with them to just say, yes, you're on the right track, yes, you're doing it right, can be all the difference between feeling kind of lost and a success. Absolutely, and you know, I love that you bring up the word mentor because really that's kind of the theme that Restaurant Unstoppables adopted or developed over time is it, it's a melting pot of mentors. They'll tell you their stories, they'll tell you their failures and that's one of the biggest pros to having a mentor is you can learn from their mistakes. So here's a question for you. After all of these interviews so far, uh, what's your level of interest of starting at that restaurant down the road? You know, I was fortunate enough to grow up in the restaurant industry. My parents owned a restaurant. They opened it when I was three years old and they had it for 10 years. So I really kind of lived through that that experience of seeing all the cons. So going to the grocery store with my mom at 10 o'clock at, you know, or however late the store was open, pulling two carriages, one for home, one for the store, and then seeing them struggle with bills. My mom literally like sitting in tears at the kitchen table, not knowing how you're gonna pay the bills. And I looked down the barrel. If anything, after doing all these interviews, I'm even more passionate and more excited because of what I've learned. And you know, really the most successful people out there will be the first person to tell you they're not the best at what they do. They will give credit to their team before they ever take credit. And I think it's really the people who can surround themselves with the, the how people. I'm very much a why person. I think successful people in this industry are very much why people, meaning they're here because they know why. They, they have a mission or a vision or something they wanna create and they surround themselves with those how people. And knowing that I'm a why person and knowing that I, I can energize people, I'm very contagious. I have learned that it takes surrounding yourself with 
those skilled people and I think I'm good at you know gathering people so I'm even more excited now than before Sounds like being contagious with the right thing is a critical component of that. Yeah. Yeah. Just a quick note to our listeners: Eric is not contagious to you over the airwaves. It's an audio virus. Yeah. Uh, you it, will be okay. It attacks you at your language center. That's uh, we're making Metal Gear Solid references here now. <laughs> this is solid. So, Eric, when I was uh, when I was young, uh, I would say if I had infinity money and everything else was set, my probably uh, dream lifestyle was to live on and operate a vineyard. Uh, as I grew older, I sort of formulated this a little more concisely and, you know, started thinking, well, uh, you know, if I did that, I would need people doing all the work for me, pretty much everything. So as I kind of grew older, I realized that this this fantasy life, this dream actually contained none of the actual work or business associated with that. And in fact, I don't even really want to live on a vineyard. I'd rather live downtown. What, I just want to drink wine. Let's start with that baseline. Or just be near it, maybe. I don't even know. I mean, I, I'm kind of admitting this. Uh, you know, Maybe I've never talked about this in the year, but it, this is a real thing. And, and over my life, I... I I've sort of evolved away from what I thought, you know, again, if you asked me 10, 20 years ago, this would be the answer I would give you. So how do you deal with that? I mean, to bring this back to a real practical level here, how do you deal with that aspect of how people are? I mean, you know, I might love the idea of roasting coffee right now. It might be my true passion, my absolute calling. But five years from now, what happens when that changes? It's a flashy title, being a restaurant owner. People um, think that there's a lot of, I don't know, luxuries involved. And if those are the reasons why you're drawn to the industry, I would say that's a, you know, a red flag. Those aren't the right reasons. I mean, you have to get into this industry because you, you love the work you're doing and because you love making people happy. You can't make the reward monetary. If you're just somebody who wakes up and just loves making people happy and your reward is seeing the smiles on your guest's face and knowing that you're mentoring somebody who's passionate about the industry. Um, those are the rewards you need to, to make or to set for yourself to, to my opinion, make it in this industry. I hope I'm answering your question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll say next week we've got on uh, Anthony Bourdain, who I'm sure will propose <laughs> a, a conflicting opinion there. But uh, that's, that's great. I think Nathan's working on that. We have a new producer here, Nathan, uh, going to get uh, Anthony Bourdain on the show. <laughs> There's a lot of opportunity if you're one of those people that are hardworking and you're showing up for the right reasons uh, and you're, you're doing it for the right reasons over time, you will be rewarded in monetary ways. But you can't have that be your end game. You really have to get into it for the right reasons. Yeah, That's absolutely. Yeah. Some special cases out there. So let, let's wrap this up maybe with one more tip here. Out of all those people you've talked to, what's the more universal takeaway that maybe all of us can 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 live with, can, can sort of apply to our business, whatever type of business it might be? If you open a restaurant, you have an amazing outlet to touch a lot of people's lives in a positive way. And you can, whether it's your guests, whether it's making someone's um, anniversary special or a special event where you're creating the environment where something can really truly be celebrated and you provide that outlet to just make people happy, not just your guests, but your inner guests, your employees. There's so many people who are passionate about this industry and just want to exercise that passion. And you can really be an outlet to mentor those people. And if you can help people get to the next stage in life, whether it be opening their own restaurant or becoming an executive chef and you help them, whether no matter where it is, there's a lot of young people that get into this industry and to, to be able to be a mentor, I mean, constantly having new fresh blood come through your restaurant. Um, if you can make those rewards um, in life, being able to touch other people in a positive way, I mean, there's, there's nothing more rewarding than that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for your time. You know, if people want to hear more from you or, or learn more about you and what you're doing, where can they go online? Uh, you can find me uh, at www.restaurantunstoppable.com. That's restaurant singular. 
unstoppable.com and i'm on itunes and stitcher radio if you google search restaurant podcast this is my my little bragging um this is where i like to brag i'm the number one search result which is really exciting i'm easy to find all right well we're gonna come and get you when we get this anthony bourdain guest again our our new producer nathan working on getting that anthony bourdain guest next week not if but when if and when, if and when our new producer gets that, we'll we'll talk about it next week. I'm sure he's going to disagree with everything you say. Probably blow a lot of smoke into the microphone, etc. Right? <laughs> Looking forward to that part of the business. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us today, Eric. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, Jonathan. Uh, saw on CNBC.com the uh, top ten friendliest cities for small businesses. Well, we're going to make it easy for you and just tell you the list. And they're quoting a Thumbtack research study anyway. Thumbtack. They are a research company that actually does this survey every year. They also track uh, small business sentiment to see how small business owners are. Thumbtack did some research. That's right. So the friendliness is not of the small business, but of the city or state. You know, they track a few different metrics, like the ease of starting a business, uh-huh. ease of hiring. Uh-huh. They also look at the regulations in the city, health and safety, employment, tax code, licensing, zoning. All, All right. of those things are variables that kind of go into this friendliness metric. All right, so let's talk through the friendliness then. Uh, number 10 best... Uh, San Antonio, Texas. If you're listening and you're from these cities, we want to hear from you. Do you how friendly. agree? So. so San Antonians, how do you feel about being 10 on the list? You know, Should you be higher? What do you think? That so was San terrible. Antonio is number 10. Boulder, Colorado. Uh, and so we're looking at some of the strengths that they're talking about here mm-hmm. from the Thumbtack survey. Um, you know, Health and safety, licensing regulation. So following the Colorado trend, number eight is Fort Collins, Colorado. Number one in training and networking, which I guess really boosted their ranking up to uh, number eight there yeah, total. that's great. We've got another uh, Texas city, Houston, Houston. number Houston. seven. Good barbecue. I'll, you know, I'll what's funny that. is I thought everything was big in Texas, but uh, here we have a number uh, of cities that are friendly for small businesses. Number six was Nashville, Tennessee. Great job. But right. uh, you were edged out by Knoxville. Oh, I don't Knoxville, know if there's some in-state Tennessee rivalries also. between Knoxville and Nashville, but... Yeah, no, Knoxville, uh, number one at ease of starting a business, which hmm. is interesting. I mean, I might need to read up a little more on that. Yeah, what's interesting is they're also number two when it comes to employment, labor, and hiring, and number two in zoning regulations. So kind of interesting to see why they're not much higher on the list. How did they only get to number five? Number four, Austin, Texas. Austin, lots of Texas representation here. Yeah. It's a big state, though, to be fair. It is. Most surprising on the list for me as a Northern Virginia resident, uh, Richmond, Virginia, number yeah, three. Number three. Richmond, Virginia, home of uh, Guar, the band, <laughs> and uh, lots of other uh, exciting, uh, I'm sure, punk rock related things. Here's something interesting, though. Yeah. So it's friendly for small businesses, but at the same time, they have six Fortune 500 companies based in those city limits. Yeah, I'm so surprised. also friendly for big businesses, I guess. Number one rating on health and safety. And is that a quality of life thing for employees? I hope so. Number two in line, Dallas, Texas. Hey, another Texas. Yet another Texas. So I guess they do it bigger uh, in terms of their participation in lists. They are the biggest friendly state. Uh, So yeah, Dallas, Texas, number two, number one in employment, labor, and hiring. Pretty exciting. All right, what's number one? It's not a Texas city, which is surprising with this list. Uh Manchester, New Hampshire. Out of nowhere. Uh, Who's from Manchester, New Hampshire in our audience? And uh, congrats to you. We'll we'll send you like a ribbon of some sort. Is that right? (laughs) No, no, this isn't our study. It's just... All right, if someone someone emails us for their ribbon, I will send it to them, all right? Okay, fair enough. So if your city was on the list, reach out to us. Tell us what you think. Should they be higher? Do they not belong there? If your city wasn't on the list, you know, how do you think it ranks? Where does it fit? Uh, Is it friendly for your small business? 
tell us about your experience starting your small business in your city and how the city helped you. There's also kind of another aspect to this whole list, which is, you know, if we've got the 10 top ones, we can also go to Thumbtack and look at and see which cities qualify for the worst cities. Number three, New Haven, Connecticut. Number three, worst. is What are we talking about? Worst cities to start yeah. a business? Worst, These are least, basically the least friendly un, Most cities. unfriendliest. Yes. Okay. They don't want your small business. Least friendliest cities uh, to start a business. Here's a surprising one. Providence, Rhode Island. I guess yeah. it's a good place to go if you are in college. The, good place for Bell and Sebastian songs to take place. The absolute worst city uh-huh. The least friendliest city, Buffalo, New York. Least most friendliest city in the entire United States. Uh, hey, Buffalo, what's gone wrong, guys? Yeah, what's happening? What's happened, guys? No one's going to reach out to us. Well, because they're so unfriendly, I guess, yeah. as a city. So listen, if you're from Buffalo and you want to help revitalize the city, maybe B-Plans can help. Maybe we'll start a, a you know, make Buffalo more friendly small business campaign. What do you think? <clears throat> How friendly was your city? Is it easy to start your small business there? And uh, what kind of obstacles have you run into or had to overcome? Jonathan, you mentioned the small business sentiment part of this Thumbtack study. I just wanted to take a look at that really quick. If you pop into that part of the study and you can see that uh, they have this rating scale where uh, small businesses rate whether they're somewhat positive, very positive about uh, their own sort of future in their state. Uh, the interesting thing is no single state has a very positive rating. Mm-hmm. Almost all states have a somewhat positive rating. Yeah. This might be more kind of that psychosis of the entrepreneur thing. You've got to be sort of a, this neutral, somewhat positive, you know, generally a good outlook, but a little cautious. Is that a fair thing to say? Maybe the data skewed because of the psychosis of entrepreneurship. Yeah, in, like the inherent, the inherent optimism of somebody. To, like, who's going to answer and say, like, no, actually, I think my small business is not going to do well in the future. Exactly. They have to think positive or else they probably wouldn't be doing this in the first place. Right. So it's and almost like a trick question. The ones who would say, I'm not feeling good, probably already closed. Listeners, good for you for being so positive hey, out there. We appreciate your positivity. Uh, good luck with all your ventures. Uh, if you are angry about me calling you psychosis havers, uh, then uh, go ahead and uh, send us an email too. Why not? Yeah, reach yeah. out to us. And what's everyone's outlook that the next episode is going to be awesome? Let us know by email. The positive, uh, the positive vibes, keep them coming our way. You All know right? what? I'm somewhat positive about that. Somewhat positive? Yep. Wonderful. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, send us an email at bcast at bplans.com. That's bcast at bplans.com. Our theme music is by Jasinski. The Bcast is brought to you by Palo Alto Software, makers of bplans.com and LivePlan. Visit bplans.com for everything you need to start planning and growing your business.